This episode is called The Great Debate. And if you have been with us here on Hope in the Desert, it has been a long time coming. In this episode, we will comprehensively explain, understand, and dive into our approach to all medical solutions. And as a matter of point, all solutions to do with the body-mind experience, period. So I would love it if you would join me on this journey, and together we can find hope in the desert. attempt at understanding the great debate on a uh, on at least a superficial level and then later uh, I plan to go back and kind of delve into it a little bit I want to start first of all um, I'm not even sure that I, I I'm gonna cover this appropriately <laughs> there are just probably so many people that could tell this story a lot better than me but I'm gonna make my best attempt and I'm just hoping to keep you with me. So I want to start with um, an idea that uh, whatever, uh, let me say it like this, because one of my mentors told, told, told me this story and the moral is so important to get the product of whatever you're doing is not the sale. And so what that means, and this is, this is so important for, for today's lesson. Believe me, I am not going astray. I am right on. And if you can just grasp this part and carry it through to the end, it will make so much sense for you. Whatever it is that you're doing, if you say had a product and you wanted to sell it, nobody's buying the product, right? That's so important. They're they're buying what's sellable out of the product. Um, I'm going to tell you a short story to to kind of um, accentuate and highlight this point to the best of my ability. So the story is about P.T. Barnum. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Greatest Showman. It's a great movie with Hugh Jackman. But this story, that story that I'm talking about, the one with Hugh Jackman, is not true and it's not accurate. Uh, But it's sellable. It's a sellable story. Uh, However, I think that the real story of P.T. Barnum is is much more interesting. I'm going to talk about a specific part of that story. Now, mind you, P.T. Barnum is considered one of the best salesmen in history, all right, Uh, by... Everyone that I know who is a good salesman, which I'm not, but they are. So we're just going by their, um, we're going by their wisdom. So P.T. Barnum uh, one day went to Europe and saw this woman performing. Her name was Jenny Lynn. 
And he thought, wow, she is really amazing. If we bring her back to the Americas, we could make a lot of money off of her. So he had worked out this agreement with her that she would come and that uh, he would pay her this much. And there was a contract signed. So all of the details were solidified. He ends up coming back to America and he has an event that blows his mind. One day he's walking into somewhere and a doorman is holding the door open for him. And the doorman either sees the flyer or hears P.T. Barnum talking about this Jenny Lynn. And the doorman says, uh, by the way, who's Jenny Lynn? And it hits P.T. Barnum. People in America don't know who Jenny Lynn is. Now, people in Europe knew who she was and she was famous over there. But over here, no one knew who she was. And so he's thinking to himself, oh, man. I've already made this contract. We've already got everything signed. I don't know what I'm going to do. So he has to come up with a way to really sell Jenny Lynn. And by the way, time's running short. So what he does is he hires about 23 news reporters and he has them write these stories about Jenny Lynn. And they are stories that kind of uh, enthrall people and make her the hero and they interest people in her. And then he even... uh, writes this speech, this going away speech for Jenny Lynn when she gets on the boat to come to the Americas. Um, she she makes this going away speech to everyone who um, is, is there in, in Europe at, at the dock. I'm not even sure anybody was there. And it wasn't her plan to leave forever, but he had her make this speech so that he could sell that back here in the Americas as she's making her final going away speech and she'll be coming over here. Jenny Lynn gets on the boat, comes over here. When she arrives... There are 30,000 people waiting for her to get off of the boat. Now, you got to understand, she went from people not knowing who she was to a very short time later, I'd say maybe a couple of months, 30,000 people waiting for her at the dock. Now, when she gets off the boat, I believe 20,000 of them follow her to her room, okay? And everybody wants an autograph and they want to know, you know, they, they want to say hi to her and so on and so forth. When she finally performs, sold out arena. Absolutely sold out. Now, um, as P.T. Barnum is touring with her, everywhere she goes, she's just selling out. I mean, standing room only. Mezzanine deck, standing up, right? People are dying to see Jenny Lynn. One day, Jenny Lynn is in a hotel room with P.T. Barnum, and she just decides, I think I'm... I don't need you anymore, you know? And P.T. Barnum is like throwing her back. Like, what? Really? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I could just do this on my own. I don't understand why I have you, why you're getting a cut. That makes no sense to me. I could just go and and, uh, perform on my own. So she does. She goes out on her own and starts to perform. And at her concerts, it's empty. She cannot sell out her own concerts. And this is to illustrate the point that a product is not the sale. So it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't mean people will buy it. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter what you have. People will probably not buy it. And this is so sensationally important. I need you to remember that the product is not the sale for what we're going to be dealing with right now. Now, you can go look up the facts or the history or whatever on P.T. Barnum. Some of that stuff may not be 100% accurate. I would say kind of do your own research on it. I I told the story the best way that I could really remember because the details really don't matter to me as much as that point, the moral of the story. 
or I would say maybe the point of the story. I don't know if it's necessarily moral or whatever, but the point of the story. So that being said, I want to tell a story about a man by the name of Louis Pasteur, who was born in December 22nd, 1822. And uh, the highlight of what he does happens a generation after Jon Snow, so it is told. But they're living around the same time. However, Jon Snow is in Britain or England, whatever the right term is at the time. And Louis Pasteur is obviously in France, okay, in France. So Louis Pasteur is born December 22nd, as we spoke about. And he is just, he lives in this infested, broke down uh, environment. And it is disgusting and unsanitary. And this is what he comes up in. Now, uh, the, the thing is that Louis Pasteur went to school, but he did not do so well in school. He was not a, um, we're going to say he was not an A student. I'm, I'm going to say from what I've read on him, he wasn't even a B student. And I want to give some references to, to some of these books that you can read uh, on the site. That's going to be my plan. I'm not going to make any guarantees, but it's going to be my plan. Um, anyways, so Louis Pasteur is not doing so well in school, but he does go to secondary school, which is basically college nowadays, okay? And even in college, he's not really a stand-up student, but what he does like to do is he does like to draw. He does portraits, and he does portraits of his parents, his friends, things like that. Like, that's his thing. Math, however, things like math, especially uh, areas of science and uh, arithmetic, not his thing. Not his thing, right? <laughs> no, with the eyes wide open and the finger waving. No. Um, okay. So that being said, Louis Pasteur does end up becoming a professor at a college. Uh, I, the one college I know is uh, École Normale Supérieure, which was a college that he was a um, dean at. He was actually the head of this college between 1858 and 1867, which is relatively important. Um, he also did a lot of exper experiments on uh, chicken um, cholera, right? On the cholera that was coming, emanating from chickens. And the way that he did his experiments were, was, is really interesting. And he ends up saving this, this kid based off of this experiment. So I'm going to try to explain this experiment the best way I can. What he does is he takes cholera out of chickens, and injects it in rabbits to see if it will work. So, number one, it does work. The rabbits end up getting sick from cholera and dying. So then what he does is he takes cholera out of the chickens and he leaves it out in the air, in the oxygen, so that it can kind of age. You know, again, apoptosis of the cells, right? The mitochondria inside of the cells are dying. So this, this cholera gets old. And he then takes that cholera, the now old and aged cholera, right? and injects it into the rabbits. So after it's touched the oxygen, aged a little bit, he injects it in the rabbits. So the thing about the rabbits is, the rabbits end up um, not getting sick from this cholera, but instead their blood actually adapts to the cholera. And now when he actually takes out fresh cholera from the chicken, does not age it, and then injects it in the rabbits. So now he's injecting them with real cholera. They now have an immunity to it. And so he, has invented really this vaccination, if if I could say that word, okay, because this is a very early form of this, but this is really the first vaccination, all right, by taking out cholera, aging it, 
by putting it in oxygen, putting it in air, and then injecting into something, and then taking out real cholera and putting it into them after their blood is already adapted. So now this uh, this particular experiment is the first level of vaccination. So there's this kid, his name is Joseph Meister, and he's nine years old, and he ends up getting uh, bit by a dog, if I'm not mistaken, who had rabies. So Joseph's parents seek out the great Louis Pasteur, who was relatively well-known in his area, and they ask if he can save their son. So Louis Pasteur then comes up with an idea to uh, defeat rabies, basically, using this vaccination principle. Uh, So Louis inculcates Joseph Meister with spinal tissue from rabid rabbits, which we had, he had successfully used to prevent rabies in dogs before that. Joseph Meister ends up then going to work for Louis Pasteur. Joseph and Louis obviously become friends, and Joseph ends up w- working for Louis until um, one of them passes. I think Louis passed first, which would make sense. So that being said, Louis Pasteur becomes the father of vaccination, but he also becomes the father of germ theory. Now, remember, when we were talking about Jon Snow, we'd sort of built up this uh, microorganism community, which later becomes germ theory, and Louis Pasteur becomes the father of germ theory. And on top of vaccination, he, he does some other wonderful, he makes some other wonderful contributions, such as pasteurization and uh, microbial fermentation. So Louis Pasteur is basically a, a Louis Pasteur is basically a very large name in science. Now that said, he ends up having to debate to defend his position of this germ theory with this man by the name of Antoine Bechamp. Now I may be saying that wrong, man. I've read the name, right? And I'm just doing the best I can to translate this to you. Antoine Bechamp. Now, Antoine Bechamp has a different idea. His idea is called cell theory. And he really believes that um, it's more based off of the body's immune system. That's more important than the germs a person takes in. So basically, Louis Pasteur is of the philosophy or of the idea, oftentimes called the sitting duck idea, that we humans are walking around. And when we come in contact with a germ, we're going to get sick. And basically, we need something given to us to get rid of that sickness, that germ, and then we'll return back to normal. However, Antoine Becham's idea is that uh, it's more like, I've heard this referred to as the terrain idea, okay? It's more like we have to raise our defense levels because there are germs inside of us already. And... Um, when our when our immune system gets low by getting off kilter, then that's when these germs come out, or I'm sorry, not the germs, these symptoms then come out. And now we start displaying um, signs of sickness. So these two had a debate, germ theory versus cell theory. I hope hopefully that made sense to you. One is saying that the sickness comes from outside. The other is saying the sickness comes from inside. All right. Almost like we, we have to lock these sicknesses in jail by having a strong immune system. That's that's the best way I can explain. That's the second theory. That's Becham's theory. So that said, these two have a debate in the late 1800s, early 19th century. I'm sorry, late 1800s, uh, late 19th century. 
And um, Louis Pasteur ends up coming out on top. Okay, so he ends up being the victor of this debate. Now, that said, Louis Pasteur then goes and passes, obviously, and leaves his um, his writings and his journal, his documentation with his children. And he tells them, let's keep all of this documentation inside of the family. Okay, so. The question at that point before the debate was, is it better to kill an infection? Or is it better to focus on immune system strength? And it wasn't put like that, but that's simplifying it. When uh, Pasteur died, the common belief was it is better to kill the infection. This belief, for the over the last 150 years, which is about the amount of time that we've had between this debate and now, over the last 150 years, all, most of the science seems to reflect that Louis Pasteur was correct. And this is the common practice in the medical industry. This is called conventional medicine. And as you can see, Louis Pasteur was building on Jon Snow. And this is why we say that Jon Snow, um, in a lot of ways, contributed to conventional medicine. All right. Now, that said, we have to rewind because there's a few lies that occur in this conversation. Oftentimes, when this story is told, it's told that Louis Pasteur and Antoine Bechamp are the ones who debated. Look, you got to do your own research on this and you got to form your own belief. What I have researched says that it was not Antoine Bechamp that had that debate, but a man by the name of Claude Benoit. And we're going to talk about why. First, I'm going to tell you why I believe that Antoine Bechamp is replaced as the one who debated Louis Pasteur. Then I'm going to introduce you to Claude Benoit and some of the wonderful contributions that he has made to medicine. And then we're going to talk about that debate and who really won it. So first, let's talk about Antoine Bechamp. My belief is that Antoine Bechamp is oftentimes replaced because Antoine Bechamp, number one, did not have a whole lot of accolades. Okay. Second of all, Antoine Bechamp invented synthetic dye, right? And this synthetic dye led to Paul Ulrich's Salvarsen, which is really chemotherapy. I'm going to make that short, okay? So Paul Ulrich really invents chemotherapy, but he is standing on Antoine Bechamp's shoulders. Well, what's the issue with that? It would seem that chemotherapy is almost a type of dealing with the symptoms, killing the infection. It's almost like Antoine Bechamp is really doing what Louis Pasteur says uh, with this germ theory, kill the germ, kill the problem, right? Okay, so that being said, let me talk about who I believe um, Louis Pasteur really debated. And I won't give my proof on it, just, just to inspire you to do your own research and you can leave some comments and stuff like that. And listen, if you disagree, it's okay. I'm cool with that, man. Uh, we're not going to say who's right and who's wrong. More so, let's just have a conversation about it. And I'm going to take the Claude Bernard um, view on, on most things that I do. And if you disagree with that, I'm always open for conversation. So let's go with Claude Bernard. He was born July 12th, 1813. Now, Claude Bernard invented some extremely important things when it comes to science. Okay. And this is why I think he was taken out of this debate. Now, let's talk about his contributions to science and then his contributions to medical science or the medical field. First, his contributions to, to science were, one, 
the blind experiments. Now, what a blind experiment means is that nobody knows except the one conducting the experiment what the experiment actually is. I may give you a real pill and I may give this person a placebo or it might be the other way around. You don't know who's really getting the pill and who's really getting the placebo. So it, it sort of creates this environment where people can't necessarily lie. Now, uh, also, let me just say, not only lie, but misremember. So if you've read the book, Alzheimer's Disease, uh, Dementia and Memory Loss, then you know there's different ways of misremembering. And one of these ways of misremembering is called bias, okay? And so two, there are two types of bias that we're going to talk about, which we talked about in Jon Snow. So if you haven't heard it, I'd say go back, check it out. Here's these two types of bias, confirmation bias and observer's bias, okay? I'm not going to delve too deep in them right now. Uh, confirmation bias is just basically only believe in the things that confirm that you're right. Observer's bias is feeling a type of social pressure from the from whoever's conducting the experiment to either, either prove him right or wrong. So that's it. If you want to delve into that a little bit, feel free to go back and listen to Jon Snow. Okay. So we have these two types of bias, confirmation bias and observer's bias, which blind experiments completely get rid of. So it's almost what I'm really trying to say is that Claude Bernard is mainly responsible in his blind experiments for pulling a type of honesty into the study. And in some ways, this is also building on Jon Snow because what, what, makes Claude Bernard, what makes Claude Bernard tick is the data and not what he wants to happen. He's, he's a data-based researcher. And in that way, he also is standing on Jon Snow's shoulders. Okay, so that said, the other thing that uh, uh, Claude Bernard kind of gives us is this idea of what he calls milieu intérieur. Milieu intérieur. Now, milieu intérieur is not a good word to try and translate to English. It doesn't mean the same thing in English, but basically it means the inside environment. Okay, it means the inside environment. Now, later, this gets translated a little bit better, or, or some, basically people are standing on his shoulders and creates this thing called homeostasis. If we just talk about homeostasis, you've probably heard me mention it a few times in the podcast. Homeostasis is broken into two parts, homeo and stasis. From my understanding, homeo means to stay, um, to be ready, to remain. This is homeo. Stasis is basically levels. So it's your remaining levels. And we're going to remember that homeostasis thing because we're going to come back to it after we talk about the debate a little bit more. So... As we understand, Pasteur was arguing outside invaders. We understand that Bernard was arguing, no, it's a, it, there's a bug inside of you, but your immune system is what actually uh, makes the decision on, uh, uh, your immune system's strength is actually the deciding factor in whether you get sick or not. Now, there's an interesting twist to this story. And the interesting twist is, Actually, there's about three interesting twists. I'm going to try to go in order here. Uh, number one, the man who actually wrote on Louis Pasteur, and again, I'm going to give you some references. There are two authors that wrote on him. And from what I understand with both of them, and I haven't read the complete books, okay? I've only got a chance to read uh, some excerpts, but I do need to go and read the complete books. But I do invite you to read them. What they said about Louis Pasteur is that he was more concerned with topping his rivals than he was in getting correct science. So that means he was more concerned in being right than he was in being correct. 
Okay. And that being said, and that's interesting because a lot of us, when we think of right, we oftentimes think of correct. No, right means that you are convincing people to agree with your belief. But if you're only concerned with what you say being right, this confirmation bias idea, then a lot of times people will um, overturn data in order to have people consent to this belief or agree with this belief, right? But being correct is something different. Being correct means that you're willing to be wrong because you're more interested in the truth than in your statement. Okay. So that said, um, these authors seem to insinuate that Louis Pasteur was more intent on being correct. And so he would manipulate the data. Now, his books actually just got released to the public, declassified, if you will, from his family ownership uh, in 1995, if I'm not mistaken. It was in the 90s. One of his family members passed and um, handed his work to a museum. And this museum later uh, allowed the world to see this. They sort of declassified it, if you will. And so in the mid-90s, scientists were able to go back and, and actually look at these studies and find out that a lot of his data was manipulated in order to make him right, not correct. There's a couple of other things. So that's one. Number two is that while he was the uh, head of the school École Normale Supérieure between the years of 1858 and 1867, which we spoke about earlier, there were two huge events that happened basically because of him. One, you had a large amount of students end up resigning. And number two, you had the Bean Revolt, which was a large, large amount of students revolting against him. So obviously the Bean Revolt happened first, and then this resignation thing happened second. And these were because of his decisions. So the Bean Revolt was basically because he was forcing students to eat foods they did not want to eat. Mutton soup, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, remember now, these students are paying to go to this school. But he's more concerned about being in control than he is about being effective, right? So it sort of paints out his um, mindset for us, his self-image mindset for us, if I can say that. And then there's a third thing about this that I'm going to say before really topping this whole thing off. It seems like this Joseph Meister issue was actually... Another piece of manipulated data. It's not that he didn't give Joseph Meister a vaccine, but it's actually that what scientists seem to say in the research is that Joseph Meister was only actually about 10% in danger of getting rabies in the first place, with or without this vaccination. And uh, Louis Pasteur actually manipulated his data in his success rate and in how often he experimented with this vaccination process before actually trying it. What I'm basically saying, and you got to do your own research, is that the vaccination thing was a lie to begin with. He actually didn't test as many animals as he said he did. And I'm not even sure that he got the, uh, he got the results that he said he got. And this is the reason why a lot of scientists, remember, Louis Pasteur never had a medical license. That's huge. So he could not conduct his own experiments. He had to have other clinicians and physicians who were licensed conduct these experiments. And many of them did not want to work with him because they felt like um, he was more, he, 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 would, he would manipulate the science and the data in order to get the result that he wanted. That's it. 
let's go ahead and put the icing on the cake. And keep in mind, I have a lot of respect for Louis Pasteur. I think he did some great things. I'm only giving you what the reports say. You have to go do your research and and, and get your own opinion. And that's sort of why I'm kind of leaving a couple of blanks because I'm actually inspiring you. What I really would like to do is sort of wake you up to this and you can just go and see what you think about it, right? That way I'm not the bad guy. So if we talk about Claude Bernard for a second, uh, and I'm not going to say that he's the greatest person ever. I'm just going to, I'm just sort of stating these, these pieces of facts to you. To top all of this off, I told you I would give you three things that I was going to top it off. So I give you the three things, right? The first was the manipulation of data. That was number one. Number two, how he was when he was actually in charge of this school and the problems people seemed to have with him. And that was kind of a personality thing. And number three, um, this, this, this questionable result of Joseph Meister with the vaccine, with the vaccination, which also would come from the manipulation of data. But in the first instance, when I talk about manipulation of data, I'm talking specifically about his book, his personal journal that later gets revealed. And then these authors who wrote about this book tend to say that, oh no, he actually manipulated this information. Now, I have not read a book or have not encountered an author who says otherwise. There seems to be no argument on the other side. There may be, I just haven't ran into it. This is the controversy surrounding him. Let me tell you what controversy does not surround him. Now I'm going to top it off after those three things. When Louis Pasteur was on his dying bed, this is what he said. And this is why I believe that it was Claude Bernard that he actually argued. He says on his dying bed, Bernard was right. The microbe is nothing. The environment is everything. Now, let's explore why he uses this word environment. Let's keep in mind that he's not speaking English, but he's speaking French. That word for environment is milieu, milieu intérieur. Now, it does mean environment, but this is used more in a way to mean area, the interior area, the inside area. And if we just kind of notch this forward to what we now regard as homeostasis, what he's really saying is that homeostasis is everything. I want to explore homeostasis a little bit today and then really delve into it and how it affects you specifically, um, or especially you specifically, but if you have Alzheimer's, dementia, anything like that, any central nervous issue, how it directly deals with that. We're going to explore that a little more next time. That way I'm not going over time too much. So if we just talk about homeostasis, Homeostasis is the idea that all of your levels are where they should be. So if we talk about levels, we're talking about your body temperature. We're talking about your heart rate, your cardiovascular rate. We're talking about the amount of every hormone that is in your endocrine system or in your uh, in your blood. Do you have enough white blood, blood cells? What is your PSA count? These different elements of, of your body and your interior, right, your makeup, are all of these levels where they should be. If everything is where it should be, then everything is going to operate in a way of ease. And I want you to just think about when you get in your car and everything's working well and you turn the key to your car, it just starts up. It's like it's invisible. There's no problem. You're not thinking about it. When your teeth are, are doing well, when you've been taking care of them, your teeth are invisible. There's no aches. There's no pains. It's, it's, it, it's able to operate and function at a very easy level. 
Okay. Now let's just talk about what I mean when I say function. I want to make sure you understand what I mean when I say functional. I mean functional in the algebraic sense, in the mathematical sense. This is what I mean by functional. If I go to a quarter, if I go to a Coke machine and I put a quarter in the Coke machine, a Coke comes out. Okay. By the way, I, I don't suggest drinking Coke. I'm just, I'm just saying. If I put a quarter in the Coke machine, a Coke comes out. Now, if I go put a quarter in the Coke machine and a screwdriver comes out one time, and the next time a glasses come out, and the next time um, a, a tree comes out, whatever, you know, something ridiculous comes out. Basically, this is not functional. I cannot calculate what's going to happen when I insert this variable, okay? If I put a quarter in the Coke machine, a Coke needs to come out every single time and every double time too. Um, and basically, what that makes the, the Coke machine is functional, okay? So, part of functionality is calculabil calculability and predictability. So now, the body needs to be functional, all right? If I mean to stand up and I close my eyes, I'm not functional, <laughs> okay? If your body means to excrete one hormone in this instant, but it excretes another hormone, it's not functional. So, homeos part of homeostasis is your levels being even. Another part is being functional. That said, part of being functional is having an immune system that is functional, right? And we got to almost debate about what immune system means. So I'm going to, I'm going to dig into that at a different time. And I'm going to stick with this. When you have a level of homeostasis and your body is functional in every way, you are at a state of ease, believe it or not. You're at a state of ease. Even if you're having a rough day, you're still in a state of ease. Um, when it comes physiologically, when it comes to homeostasis, I'm talking about, if you are in a state of ease. Now, if your body starts to become dysfunctional, or if you are excreting too much of one hormone, or if you're starting to have these aches or pains or something is off in your in the level of homeostasis or in the area of homeostasis, then what ends up happening is you are in a state of dis-ease. You are no longer in a state of ease, but in a state of dis-ease, right? And so this idea is that every disease is really just insinuating that the, the levels of homeostasis are off, that you are not in a state of homeostasis. And nine times out of 10, the reason you're not returning to homeostasis, because even if you get out of homeostasis, the body normally regulates itself and comes back to a state of homeostasis. If it is not coming back to a state of homeostasis, then there is something wrong that's blocking it. So now the question is, should we deal with germs or should we deal with bringing the body back to a level of homeostasis where it will naturally deal with its own problems, right? Or are you going to deal with each individual symptom? If you get sick and you cough, should you go take cough medicine? Does that really help? I'm not saying don't take cough medicine. I'm just trying to explain to you what homeostasis is. Please don't misinterpret this. I'm going I'm to close out there as far as how much I'm talking about homeostasis. And, I, and, and I'm going to bring it back to where I started. The product does not sell. Okay. The reason why I'm saying that is from, from everything that I have read, studied, and had access to, and what I can tell. It appears to me like Louis Pasteur should have either lost that debate or after he admitted it, it should have come out. The reason why it appears that it did not come out is because this idea of the body returning to homeostasis, the body being able to heal itself, is not sellable. It's not, it's not, it's not good for the business of medicine. Okay. What is sellable is germ theory. 
versus cell theory. Let's keep in mind, Pasteur represents germ theory. It makes a lot of sense financially, financially, to whenever you cough, whenever you uh, 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 your knee hurts, uh, whenever you sneeze, to get a, make a different medicine for each one of those, right? So if you say, oh, my arm hurts, I, get, I have one medicine, it's called arm hurt no more. And you say, oh, my leg hurts, I have a different medicine for that, it's called leg hurt no more. Oh, my back hurts, I, I have a different medicine for that, it's called back hurt no more. I basically have a business. I have three medicines. I'm making a lot of money, right? So if we think of it like that, there's another um, sellable part there that uh, people could, I'm not saying anyone does, I'm saying people could prosper on, right? I don't want no targets on me. I'm just <laughs> letting you know the, this, the, the theoretical idea behind this. If I was to give you a medicine, arm hurt no more, what if, yes, your arm didn't hurt anymore, but it did cause you to have vision problems or kidney problems, right? And now you have these vision problems or kidney problems, and you say, oh, man, I have a, a vision illness. Now, say the vision illness took three to five months before it took place. So your arm's not hurting, and nothing's been hurting for three to five months, and all of a sudden you start having vision problems. You're like, wow, this is totally unrelated. This is totally separate. I need to go back to this company that sold me arm hurt no more and buy division hurt no more stuff, right? All right, that's just an idea of how germ theory is profitable. Returning to a state of homeostasis means no more problems. That's not necessarily profitable. So that's why I told you the story of the product not selling, right? A lot of times what we're interested in is what's sellable. Now, by keeping a person in a reactive state and in a state of scarcity, it's easier to sell things to them. So if I tell you, oh man, uh, it's almost over for you. You, you. There's no way you could live through this. You have to get this particular product and you need to get it now or you're going to die. That's a great way to get you to pick that wallet up and, 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 start making, and start making an investment in my company. That's what I call it, an investment. All right, that said, my time's up. Uh, I hope I didn't offend anybody. There are different forms of belief. Some people agree with Louis Pasteur. That is called conventional medicine, okay? If you are a conventional practitioner, power to you. Keep going. You're healing people. We respect you. We love you. Uh, the Claude Bernard, that is called integrational medicine. If you are an integrationist, as I like to call it, um, we love you. Power to you. Please keep practicing. Some people, it, you, you will need to take both paths, man. You might have to take conventional for this and integration for that. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not a physician. Uh, I'm just saying that it seems that in the history of that debate, Claude Bernard was right. Okay. Or we'll say writer than Louis Pasteur because Claude Bernard's notes have always been public and they have never been manipulated. As a matter of fact, that's what he's known for going by the data. Okay. So that said, believe what you want. Go look it up. Do what you will with it. All right. What I'm going to do next time, or my attempt in the next podcast, is to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of homeostasis. And then I want to apply this idea to every central nervous sickness. Okay. And um, I'm going to I'm going to try and sort of talk about it in theory. And then I want to get a little bit specific uh, about with dementia, especially Alzheimer's. And we're going to walk through a system, a program that I'm actually putting my father through right now. We're going to walk through a program and I'm going to show you what each thing looks like, each level, and then we'll deep dive into each level and exactly what steps that you can take. Some of it is organic 
and of course I'm gonna push Neurospring. Now, the question is, is Neurospring a germ theory, uh, big pharma medicine like we're kind of talking about here, right? Well, the thing about Neurospring is it's organic and it is natural. So should you take organic natural nootropics or vitamins or, or uh, uh, hormones to bring your body back to a level of homeostasis? I am in agreement with that. I think if you're taking natural hormones, right? Like for example, you can't sleep, you take melatonin, okay? If you take natural hormones to help yourself, I see no problem as long as the focus is, re is returning you to homeostasis and not solving the symptom. We're not gonna be symptom-based. All right, that's my thought process. So great, thanks for listening. Thanks for getting through this whole thing. Uh, I, don't, I hope that it made sense. I had a blast telling you guys about this. Don't forget, come down, visit our blog. We're always so happy to see you. Uh, Jamie is always rooting for you guys. Uh, she says hi. And uh, I got some wonderful stories about her that I'm going to be giving here in the near future too. And of course, my dad says hi. I'm gonna be trying to uh, hypnotize him into doing an interview here. So you guys root for me. We're going to try to get him on here so we can do a little bit of talking. And uh, we're rooting for you guys. You guys are wonderful. Please keep it up. Keep up the fight. We'll see you next time on Hope in the Desert.